1: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. This week, we learned the U.S. inflation rate eased slightly to 8.5%, down from 9.1%. And coming out of the Great Resignation and this tight labor market that we're in, some employers are saying now it's finally getting a little bit easier to hire, especially when we look at the hospitality and healthcare industries. Employers are having a better time at recruiting and getting people to accept offers. Uber for their part has rebounded with drivers and they say they think inflationary pressures are bringing more people back to the platform. For more on all this, we'll speak to Chip Cutter, workplace reporter at the Wall Street Journal.
2: This remains a super hot job market. We saw that recently, the employers added 528,000 jobs in July. We have an unemployment rate at a half century low of three and a half percent. So the job market remains tight. But what's interesting is when you talk to executives and you hear them speak about what they're seeing right now, a number of particularly big employers are saying that it's just getting slightly easier to hire. So think about the hospital chain, HCA Healthcare. They've struggled to find nurses and other workers throughout the pandemic. They say hiring is up and turnover is down. Uber recently said in its quarterly report that it's getting more people to sign up to work as drivers or food couriers. Obviously, that was a big issue for much of the past year, right? Where there was big demand, but it was was tough getting drivers onto the platform. And then Marriott, which uh, has also tried to recruit lots of people as its hotels have reopened over the past couple of years, says it's actually seen a steady improvement in hiring right now. And wage increases are also starting to slow. So it's a lot of different signals from different parts of the economy. But I do think it's telling us that particularly for some of the employers that really – um, you know, we're in industries that really struggled for much of the pandemic. They're starting to see some, you know, signs that it might be getting just a little bit uh, easier right now.
0: And these signs are, are encouraging, right? We're kind of seeing that rebound from the pandemic in the healthcare sector, right? There was nurses and doctors quitting because of so much pressures and, and hospitals uh, systems being overrun. When it comes to the hotels, we're seeing people return to travel and leisure and all that pent-up demand for vacations and whatnot. And in the Uber thing, too, uh, you know, even people just wanting to get out more and needing those rides, we're starting to see that rebound, too. So, I mean, it, it seems like there's some good signs on, on the horizon, at least, if we're rebounding already.
2: It's really true, and obviously this comes sort of in a mixed picture for the economy right now. I think a lot of job seekers, a lot of workers, are dealing with inflation. They're trying to get their heads around where the economy is headed, um, and that's I think changing the job the job market a little bit. We've heard Uber, for example, say that inflation was a big driver towards getting more people uh, to work on its platform, uh, and we've also seen. We're, we're starting to see, for example, in industries like retail and hospitality, rates of quitting are starting to come down a little bit. They're still high. They're still higher than they were at the start, at the, before the pandemic, but they're lower than the peak. And I think all of that tells us is that people are maybe a little more willing to settle into their jobs for the moment. They might be you know, kind of nervous about what might happen. So they're just going to stay put for the moment. Uh, and that, of course, eases the burdens on employers.
0: Yeah. I mean, everything is starting to even out, right? A, a lot of places are starting to go back to the office, you know, not as much remote work. So yeah, on the worker front, it's like, well, I kind of uh, settle into something. <laughs> That's probably the best word to use, uh, not uh, settle into something that uh, could be a little bit more long-term. And, you know, even places like Verizon, this was an interesting one to me. They're, Taking a little more time to fill some of those positions where they were seeing before they were giving people job offers, and they say, "Well, I'm fielding like three or four different opportunities." Now they're taking now that as that's kind of cooled down, Verizon's even taking a little more time to pick and choose who they're they're getting.
2: Well, this was fascinating to me, and again, it was one of those things when, when an HR executive says it, you're like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." It was so Verizon. Uh, like a lot of companies saw over the past year that that they would make offers to folks and then they realize, OK, now they're up against they're making an offer, but the person already has multiple offers on the table, too. And so the HR chief told me at Verizon that right now when they make an offer to someone, they're less likely to have multiple offers on the table. And that actually makes it a lot quicker for the company to hire because then they're not having to have the situation happen where they'd extend an offer. The person says, sorry, I'm actually going to take this other one. The whole job search starts over again. I mean, all of that just really extends the time it takes to hire someone. And so when Verizon is seeing less of that now, it makes a difference. And so the HR chief told me that it's, you know, it's still tough to hire it's not an easy market, you know, by all means, but it's it's different and it's getting a little bit better. And I think that that, that point about multiple offers is a good one. And, and she said that they're seeing this for frontline workers and some of the sales and retail positions, but also software engineers, too. And that struck me as interesting because we've certainly seen a lot of big employers in tech think about you know, Facebook parent Meta or Google and others slowing hiring a bit. We've seen some layoffs in different parts of the tech economy. And so you might see some software engineers and others say, "Okay, we're going to take this job. We're not going to sort of shop around endlessly like we might have done before.
0: What do we make of the dynamic for a long time, especially throughout the pandemic, the great resignation, all of that? Everybody was saying workers have all the power. What do we make of it now as things seem to be shifting back to uh, what was what we had pre-pandemic?
2: Yeah, I still think employees still have the power. It's still it's still very much a market that favors workers over companies, uh, and we've seen that in just data on wage inflation. We've seen this just in, in sort of what we've heard from a number of companies. I mean, it's it's if you're going to be laid off right now, it's not a terrible time to be laid off because we've seen this in the data where people who are unemployed are very quickly getting other jobs, and so all of that would suggest that it's still. Market that's very much in, in workers' favor. Of course, that could change, and we've sort of heard, um, you know, a number of CEOs and others sort of say they they would hope it would sort of balance out a bit. Um, but but I think for the most part, workers still have a lot of options, and um, and that's going to you know cause companies to still think about whether they're paying people competitively. Certainly, bosses are still worried about how do you keep your best employees because these are folks who are going to have options no matter what. I mean, you know, and so, um, so it's, yeah, it's it's still a really interesting job market. And I think still one that that um, is, is good for those who are looking for work.
0: Chip Cutter, workplace reporter at the wall street journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Right now we're also seeing an increase in food insecurity around the country. And this time around, it doesn't have anything to do with a wave of people losing jobs Rather, high inflation has been hitting Americans hard, leading many to seek out help from food banks. The difficult thing, however, is that the food banks themselves are struggling to meet demand as they see decreasing donations and increased costs due to paying more for transportation and acquiring food. For more on this, we'll speak to Laura Kelly, business reporter at the New York Times.
3: While we're in this moment that many Americans are unfortunately experiencing food insecurity, the food pantries themselves are also facing their own challenges. So as food pantries are seeing pretty high demand from people, uh, including some people coming in for the very first time to food pantries, those food pantries are facing the same high costs as everyone else. So I spoke with For example, uh, a food pantry in the Provo, Utah area called Tabitha's Way. And the executive director said that she was feeding more families every week. And at the same time, her budget had gone up. She's spending more on food. She's spending more on gas to go pick up donations. And she's spending more on her own payroll.
0: And what they're seeing uh, as when they start talking to everybody that it's really a, a, an issue of inflation. That's the thing that's really hitting everybody. It's not like there was a big wave of unemployment, a, hun- a bunch of people lost their jobs or anything. It's about the higher cost of what's going on right now, which we've seen food prices increase 10.4% from last year.
3: Yeah, exactly. Many Americans, even those who had been able to hang on throughout the pandemic, are now struggling and are now food insecure. So some recent data from the Census Bureau showed that last month, 25 million adults sometimes had not had enough to eat over the previous seven days. And just to put that number in context a bit, that's the highest that number has been since right before Christmas in 2020. And that's a time when the employment rate was nearly twice what it is today. Wendy uh, Osborne, who's the director of Tabitha's Way Food Pantry that I mentioned a moment ago in uh, the Provo, Utah area, she told me that something she's been seeing on the ground at her food pantry is that a lot of the people coming in and uh, getting food from her food pantry are not people who are unemployed. Rather, they're people whose households have one or more jobs, but they're just having a hard time affording food as prices of everything from groceries to baby formula to gas to keep
0: going up. One of the other things that they're seeing is that this is kind of a change from the way it was at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, obviously we were going into lockdowns and, uh, you know, a lot of businesses weren't open. So people were struggling at that time, but there was a lot of donations. There was a lot of stuff going on. And now, so this is the kind of the complete opposite of it now, now that The pandemic has eased up a little bit and people have gone to work. It's this inflation that's keeping people really needing these services. So it's a shift from how the pandemic, how we started during the pandemic
3: yeah that's absolutely right so at the start of the pandemic a lot of people and this was a great thing a lot of people were aware of food insecurity and were donating to food pantries and donating to food banks Uh, but now at this point uh, fewer people have been making donations Um, so just to give a few numbers as examples from February to May of this year, 73% of Feeding America's food banks that were surveyed said that their food donations were down. Going back to Tabitha's Way, the food pantry in Utah that I mentioned a moment ago, they found that in the first half of 2022, food drive donations fell nearly two-thirds compared with the same period last year. They also found that donations of food from grocery stores and restaurants were less than a quarter of what they had been the year before, and their cash donations were also down. So their cash- Donations dropped to less than $700,000 from nearly $1.1 million. So, a lot of food pantries and food banks across the country are seeing that in this moment, they're seeing less donations than they were maybe in March or April of 2020.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a really tough time. Obviously, we're, the whole point of what we're saying is that inflation is so high right now, it's making it much more difficult. So, for those families, those people out there that can help, you know, obviously do it if you can. And, you know, what a lot of people are seeing out there, too, is as they need to use these services, they're going out there, they're getting great food. You know, the people that are working there are, are doing really well, are, are helping a lot as well. And they're saying, hey, you know, there used to be this kind of stigma about using these services, food bank services and whatnot. And some of, the, some of them are even taking to social media to kind of dispel some of that, encouraging others. To use it. And, and that's another wrinkle in it too, right? More people are encouraging others to use the services, so more people are even actually going for it.
3: Yeah, something that was a lot of fun to discover in our reporting in this story is that, um, as you say, some people are going on social media and they're really trying to spread the word to encourage other people who are in need. Uh, not to feel ashamed, not to be embarrassed to ask for help, but rather to take advantage of resources that are available in their communities. Um, So one great example of this was I spoke with a young woman named Antasia Boisa, who's a certified nursing assistant in the Hartford, Connecticut area. And she started going to food pantries for the first time in 2021. She hadn't expected, she told me that she would be able to get good, fresh food there, but she's really found that she's able to get foods like squash and shrimp and brown rice to feed her family. She has two young kids. She even told me that you can get luxury meals from the food pantry and you can cook luxury meals. And she now is making TikTok videos. She said that people in Connecticut who live near her and people in New York City and in her region have started messaging her on TikTok to say that they're interested in going. And she said that she would really encourage other young people, other young moms to take advantage of resources to go to food pantries if they are in need or are experiencing food insecurity in this moment.
0: Laura Kelly, business reporter at The New York Times, Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
4: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic.
0: For all you craft beer lovers out there, watch out. Brewers are facing a shortage of carbon dioxide, and it could cause delays in production. Breweries rely on CO2 for putting bubbles in the beer itself, but also along the production process to move beer through lines and purge oxygen from tanks. For more on the latest challenge for craft brewers, we'll speak to Emily Heil, Food reporter at The Washington Post.
5: Trouble is brewing, it looks like, for craft brewers, particularly for craft and independent brewers. This isn't so much a problem, or at least an anticipated problem, for some of the bigger manufacturers. Um, Many of them have their supply chains really locked in. They also have an ability in some cases to do carbon capturing or carbon dioxide capturing on site, So the supply issue snag is not as big of a problem for them, at least right now, but right now it's looking like a, a real problem for some independent brewers. Now, I should say this is not an across the board thing. Like so many of these supply chain issues, don't freak out and run to your local, um, <laughs> local brewery and, and, and stock up. I mean, do, I'm, I'm not, who, I'm sure they'd love you. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you know, you know, never hurts to have some supply, but this is not universal. So, you know, some of the breweries we talked to were having no problems. Others were worried about it. You know, there's some regional issues at play too, but it seems like this is one of these kind of complicated supply chain issues that this kind of pandemic era has laid bare for us that we're suddenly yeah. we're finding out just sort of how complicated it, and really interrelated the supply issues are. So a lot of craft breweries are worried. So far, we've only heard about one, a place called Night Shift Brewery in Boston that has maybe even suggested they might have to do some layoffs. This CO2 shortage for them has caused them to shift production elsewhere. Other folks, I talked to the Brewers Association, a lot of their members are telling them that what they're hearing is Not that they can't get any, but, you know, maybe they usually have a delivery, say, of 100 pounds a week and their supplier calls and says, hey, I can't do 100. Maybe I could do 40. And that causes, you know, the brewery to have to shift its production around. And that could mean a shortage at some point down the road And, and potentially higher prices as well for consumers.
0: So we were talking about how you know this is a supply chain issue, but why are we seeing this uh, even becoming a problem? There's also, I guess, a, uh, a plant that uh, does a lot of manufacturing of these CO2 products, and there was some contamination at one of these sites that kind of led to a lot of missed opportunities there too.
5: Yeah, the contamination is, is, is certainly sort of this new wrinkle. Now, I should say there has been a problem with CO2 being in short supply for the last couple of years. And it started really interestingly in mid-2020, from what I understand. And part of that had to do with in the pandemic, amid lockdowns, people weren't traveling, which means that they weren't. <laughs> um, the ethanol production went down mm-hmm. and CO2 is a byproduct of ethanol production. And so some people experienced some shortages or have been since 2020 began. Now, that became exacerbated by a couple of things. And this contamination is one of them. It's a site in Jackson Dome, Mississippi, makes a lot of CO2 there, and apparently there was some contamination from a mine that reduced the amount of, and this is important, that it's food-grade CO2. Not all CO2 is created equal, and so this food-grade CO2 that brewers need for their process wasn't able to be produced there, at least temporarily, and so that is having a ripple effect throughout. There are a couple other interesting things that are also contributing to the shortage. Mm -hmm. Ammonia plants. There have been some planned and unplanned stoppages of work at these ammonia plants. CO2 is also a byproduct of ammonia production. And then there's apparently a great deal of seasonal demand for CO2. Consumption of sodas and beers go up in the summer. Also, CO2 is needed for dry ice production, and dry ice, there's a, a a lot of demand for it more in the summer in agricultural settings, I'm told particularly in California, where it's used in grape harvests. Right. So that's a little bit maybe more of a regional concentration on that, but it does have other applications. Demand for that goes up. And so it really is this sort of strange and perfect storm of these kind of problems that are all leading to these brewers being told that they can't get it their hands on as much as they might need.
0: Yeah, and as I mentioned, the breweries need it for the beer itself to add the bubbles. They also need it to move beer between tanks and kegs and canning lines. They use it to purge oxygen from tanks. So it's used all along throughout the production process. And you mentioned briefly too that Some of these breweries are even looking at capturing carbon dioxide in another way, like CO2 that's naturally produced during the fermentation process. That's a possibility, but that's also like an expensive option.
5: Yeah, and that's I think more of the process that these bigger producers can do. So smaller producers are looking to get in on that, and maybe that's more of a long-term solution. But again, it's not really helping the folks who don't have that kind of capacity, and they're just finding out that their weekly or you know biweekly shipment isn't going to be the same. So there's right now there's no kind of real alternative. Um, there's some some people use nitrogen to move beer into kegs, but that's obviously a much smaller part of the process than co2 which is really what they all rely on and as i'm told you know if people think barley and hops you know are essential ingredients of beer but you know co2 is maybe not the sexiest but it is essential (laughs) to the process right
0: emily heil food reporter at the washington post thank you very much for joining us hey thanks for having me Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. Hey fam,
1: I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay.